Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Energy News Beat Podcast. My name is Stu Turley, President and CEO of the Sandstone Group. I got an action-packed show today. I mean, I normally have somebody cool. I got somebody cool from Combo Curve. That is just absolutely phenomenal. I've got Dan Giraldi. I hope I got that right. It's Italian. Gualtieri. Gualtieri. I'm sorry. Hey, it's a Gualtieri. Welcome, Dan. How are you? I'm doing great. Happy to be here on your show and in Dallas with you in person. This, oh. This is... This is good. This is good. Uh, I want to give our listeners just a little bit of uh, inside baseball. I love Combo Curve. And if you want low cost energy to your house, you need natural gas, oil. If you want to get the price down on your car, you need to have it drilled lower cost. Combo Curve does such a phenomenal job that it is well reservoir all the way. I've taken it from the well to the investor, from the investor to the CEO. It is unbelievable the power of this software in saving money, and it goes all the way to the consumer. So from the well to the investor to the consumer. Welcome. Thank you very much. Absolutely. No, thanks for having me. So I'll tell you, when you sent over your resume, I mean, you got a pedigree. And another little bit of inside baseball, you and I went to Oklahoma State University. I love Oklahoma State. Wasn't it great? So was, so well focused, so well organized. Uh, now, where what did you get there, other than dates? Yeah, so I, it was compressed video. It was back in '90s, early '90s, first compressed video program. We did a masters. I did a masters in electrical engineering in two and a half years. Wow! And then my MBA to follow that, and that took actually more time. It was a three year program. It was more busy work and less technically challenging, but more intellectual. Right. So. Oh, fantastic. I'll tell you, I love Stillwater, love Coach Gundy. I was there when Coach Gundy was the quarterback. Jimmy uh, Johnson was the head coach. Pat Jones was the defensive coach. And I got to tutor Dexter Manley, and it was, he couldn't read. So, I mean, it was, they did not do him any favors. Great guy. Love Dexter but holy smokes. Um, Nothing but upside. We call those people with a lot of upside potential, right? Oh, I love Dexter. Um, but you know what's sad is he got a higher score on my uh, test that I helped him with in, in business law. <laughs> he, he copied my answers in the test during the test, and then he miscopied them. So they gave it. I'm like, oh, I'm going to get thrown out of school. <laughs> so anyway, hey, tell us what you're doing for um, uh, Combo Curve. And uh, we're going to go back a little bit later for your history on how you went from school to there, but what are you doing there? I'm executive director for customer success. I've known uh, Armand and Jeremy on the Combo Curve side before they started Combo Curve. Right. So I watched them grow up from basic studies into an early stage platform, into a startup, back into a full-fledged uh, reserves and economic platform that has just been the best tool that I've seen in the industry um, that was developed in the shortest amount of time. So the platform has been really, really impressive to watch it evolve and, and see the culture change from a startup, pre-startup startup to truly a entity that is beyond, uh, that's, that's a real yep. company today. Right? I'll tell you, being, real- being on my side, didn't mean to interrupt, man, but I'll tell you what, on my side, I saw your people take me and my team from problems. My team was mm-hmm. working with your uh, customer success story, and that is huge. I've been on this side of it sitting there with other CEOs looking at me going, McFly, and I mean, I'm like over here, and I mean, 
they would call, they would work. Right. Our guys would uh, work with that. Michael Tanner, want to give you a shout out. But anyway, and all the other guys that helped with us on that. So that was fantastic. You know, we, we start talking about conversational analytics, the ability to actually have a conversation around the data, around the project. And the fact that you could take a team right. and save weeks of time to get where you would be early on in that life cycle. Right. And then you could spend more time running sensitivities and truly understanding the asset where most of the time you spend 80% of the time to get to an answer. Right. But you don't have time to do the sensitivity workflows, the what ifs, the answer product that has to be given to the private equity group, to the bid, to truly understand it. So what do you do? You de-risk it. Right. I don't want to de-risk it. I want to understand where I'm really at and then de-risk appropriately rather right. than de-risking because I don't know. Oh, absolutely. And, and so when you sit there and you take a look at uh, oil and gas with the supply chain issues we've had, mm -hmm. Dan, this has been uh, awful for the EMP operators out there. Oh, yeah. I mean, the costs have doubled. Uh, the... Mm -hmm. Oil field service folks are getting slaughtered. Right. And so when you take a look, you better know from your engineer, uh, reservoir mm -hmm. engineers, that you got some good data and that's going to be a good well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it, it's critical. It's all about reducing risk at the end of the day. Reducing uncertainty, reducing risk. The, the entire oil and gas industry is getting more efficient. Right. Right. So it's taking less people to drill better wells. And a lot of it's due to technology improvements, workflow efficiencies. Combo Curve touches every aspect of oil and gas group, right. A and D, production engineering, asset, uh, reserves, and integrating all of that into one workflow. That's the power of what Combo Curve can deliver. A lot of clients are starting to figure this out, but you got to start with baby steps. You got to have a small team using it. Right. They prove it up and then it expands in an organization. The true power is that integrated workflow where everybody's using one, one form of truth. One data set rather than separate workflows. You know, one of the things that I really loved about the support team was that several of the folks that we worked with did not have very good hooks into accounting. Mm -hmm. And so we were able to bring hooks into the accounting because if you're not understanding because it complex mm -hmm. is so tough, you have so many mineral rights, you have so many shares. You have so many of these kind of things. And so being able to bring the data in, mm -hmm. how much well, I mean, how much oil, you know, we, we were able to take skated uh, data all the way in, give the <clears throat> reports every day, every day to the investors. And uh, we've done this. I've done this before and other things. But if you take that data, tell me an investor's not going to love sitting there going, hey, we just had 5,000 wells come out today. Yeah. Holy smokes, right. that's strong. So yeah. we had a, a conversation, one of the, a very sharp software programmer I worked with basically had a saying, we don't know what we know. Organizationally, we know a lot. We don't know what, what we, we know. That's a t-shirt waiting at. Oh, there you go. <laughs> we would do a whole class on that. And I could, I could, do, I could do a whole curriculum on that, that workflow. Um, but the whole idea is we have databases, we have people, they have engineering assessments, the engineering results, laptop right. on their server. We have databases, field, production, drilling reports, completion, petrophysics, log right. analysis, all that data is across yeah. the domain. With Combo Curve and our focus on data connectivity, data sync, right. they can grab this data, integrate that into a workflow and put it in a spot where people can touch it. Isn't that great? Uh, there was a study out there that basically said, I spent 20% of my time collecting data, right? 
what, 20% of an engineering's time just collecting data. He's not doing anything with it. He's not organizing it. He's not getting it into a no. form he can use. He's just finding it and being able to integrate that data into a cohesive workflow and be able to yeah. touch the field engineer data, the uh, carbon emissions from the field side that is today separate from the engineering asset team, from the production engineers, from the reservoir engineers, because everybody's right. got their own world, their own sense of what, right. what reality is, pulling all that all together. So now I can do what ifs. I want to touch that data, that data, bring it in, do my comparatives right. and run my workflows using integrated data workflows is huge. Well, you mentioned something really. Uh, I'm going to sit here and go, OK, I, you, you say something like a nugget and I got it. OK, carbon. Uh, and you go through there. You've got carbon um, combo carbon Com now, with the ESG and having to be just totally watching the methane and figuring out mm -hmm. how much of a carbon footprint that mm -hmm. we've got in the oil and gas space. When you sit back and take a look at it, tell us about uh, combo carbon, because that is a phenomenal piece of uh, measurement and everything else. Tell us. Yeah. The integration of the carbon data into your reserves database, into your engineering database is huge. And huge. let me explain a true scenario, working with a major operator, the field engineers are doing carbon exposure, carbon modeling, dealing with H2S right. and facilities tied to that running sensitivities in Excel. Right. Okay. The asset team is running their own workflows, not knowing what the field engineers are, are being challenged with. Yeah. And the reserves guys have their own their own world. Everybody needs to have their own set of books, so to speak, but integrate that data in so the field engineers can see what the expense models look like from the reserve side yep. and the CapEx models and be able to do a true analysis using corporate knowledge that is in the world, what the organization knows. The right. field engineers don't have exposure to it, no. but when they're running their models, they're doing single well. They're making assumptions. The expense models may or may not match. The price text may or may not match. Wow. There's no excuse today why that information can't be touched and shared right. to the right people with the proper security access. So now I'm going to make your, your production engineer smarter. Right? Okay. Another major operator said production engineers only do production things. They're not supposed to look at economics. How in today's market do you not drive an engineering decision based off of the economic impact? Absolutely. I can drill a, the most productive well the most productive well in an asset, an area, in a field, it could be the, it wouldn't be the most economic, potentially. Right. I want to know that. And I want my engineers to start thinking that way. That's a right. cultural shift that some, oper some operators are capable of doing. Some are still in that right. challenge phase. Let the production guy do what he does. Let the drilling guy do what he does. And somebody else is going to do the economics. Huh? Uh, there's very few people that have both. And uh, we, for right. a shout out to Michael Tanner again. I got a freak uh, that works. <laughs> he's my co-host on my daily show. All right. And I mean, he's got that. And so when you sit back and take a look at finances and yes. you, you take a look at the carbon capture, I mean, mm -hmm. excuse me, the carbon uh, output and measurement, investors want to know how good you are. In, yes. in, in fact, uh, I believe it was Oxy that had their first carbon neutral shipment go out. Mm -hmm. All the way through uh, the whole thing, I believe, to Chenier and mm -hmm. then out mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. on LNG. I mean, unbelievable. When you take a look at an Occidental Petroleum, mm -hmm. they have really gotten into the carbon capture, which is different. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, when they're out there selling that all the way through, you got to know what your carbon footprint is Absolutely. in order to get to the investor. Absolutely. So Oxy has been one of the leaders in the industry related to the carbon component. It's very impressive to watch that organization work. 
Today, due to simplicity, and I'll touch on one thing back to the production engineer. Why does the production engineer not run economics? Either he doesn't know what the inputs are, right. he doesn't understand it, or the process to calculate the economics is too complicated. Maybe training them on areas or other tools may be a challenge, right. or using Excel, which is a, could be potentially a flawed model. Having exposure to that data in a simple tool, which Comboker really is that, simplis that simplistic right. solution, he can start doing his own economics. You start talking about carbon exposure, understanding your benchmarks. Where are you at compared to your peer group? Where are you right. at trending from last couple of years with Combo Carbon's integrated data model? I'm not going to try to push this, but we have there is an integrated data model from the subpart W reports that can be leveraged. So your organization can start looking at exposure, can start looking at what's happening in the industry. I want my engineers to have all the data they can touch. Right. And I want them to consume things and do what ifs and look at how are we doing compared to the, the top three operators in my area. Right. Now, it may not be, he, he's not going to report it on up, but him having that knowledge matters from an organizational standpoint. Carbon matters. Economics matter. Right. Right. You can do the best frack job in the world in a reservoir that has no hydrocarbons. And what did you accomplish? Yeah. All right. At the end of the day, you would never know. Well, with, you know, uh, you and I were chit-chatting right before the show, and it is everybody who's ever seen the show knows that I believe that we need to deliver the lowest cost kilowatt per hour. All humanity, let's get rid of energy poverty. Yes. And I mean, Absolutely. we're talking Africa, we're talking here in the U.S., the disproportionately impacted communities, but you got to do it sustainably. And so everybody says sustainable wind and solar. Right. Those are not currently with their technology sustainable because you're having to print money in order to get those done. Natural gas, nuclear, wind, solar, hydro, I don't care. Right. Let's get humanity out of here. Now, that being said, there's a lot of funding from the federal government that has mm -hmm. come in, mm -hmm. but you got to prove that you are, they snuck in nuclear in some of this, and then they snuck in natural gas right. available for some of this uh, money. So uh, you mentioned Occidental Petroleum and figuring that out. Mm -hmm. So- 50, I think it's 50% in Texas of the oil, which is, you know, the Permian and huge, is private oil EMP operators. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm mm -hmm. going to, I got a mm -hmm. place I'm going here. So mm -hmm. when you sit back and take a look in order to get into that funding and you get into the, the other areas, you got to have and do what Occidental's done. They've gone into the carbon capture, mm -hmm. but they've also followed their trail. They're, they've done both. I right. believe this is a $4 trillion market in carbon mm -hmm. capture. I could be wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that there's the newest plant that just is coming along in Louisiana that is going to be more than the 18 that are currently in existence around the world. I have to fact check myself, right. but I right. think that's about right. Now, let's take uh, combo carbon could be a major issue for getting federal funds or permits done if you're articulating what you're doing. Am, am I, you see where I'm going with Absolutely. this? Absolutely. Absolutely. How did that sound? That was a long way around that. So, but it was, but it could be critical for those companies. Yeah. Understand. Spending the time and doing the engineering work appropriately matters. Right. And doing it efficiently at the end of the day. Right. Physics so, matter. Time, effort, physics. Absolutely. The ability to model things and do a call it a digital twin, right. call it whatever you want. At the end of the day, I can build a model with facilities, pipeline, subsurface drilling program, flaring strategies, flowback uh, considerations, right. and I can now do what ifs. 
And the ability to do that in an afternoon when I have a model done or being able to do that distributedly so I have my production engineer able to do this based off of in unison with my ESG team, all that makes people more efficient. They keep, that allows them to be more focused on what the emissions could look like. And you'll have engineers come up and say, if you did it this way, right. we'll, we'll save it. And you give the engineer the tools to quantify that and not just say, how about this? Here's an idea, ESG team, you go model it. The engineer could have the tools he could model it on his own. And then he can share that with the rest of the organization. So, you know, on the combo curve core side, I'm making, I'm saving one engineer for every three. So I'll give you an extra engineer. And this is, this is statistics. We've done this a lot on, with lots of customers. Traditionally, three engineers, I'll give you an extra engineer. I'm making you more efficient. That engineer is going to get his job done faster so he can move on and do more deal screening, or he's going to spend more time diving into the science and the sensitivities for the asset to be more effective on the carbon side. I open up the door where the rest of the team can play in that ESG modeling initiative to reduce emissions and be more emission focused. This all goes back to KPIs at the end of the day, right. corporate benchmarks. What are my benchmarks? What do the executives say the benchmarks are? How does that affect me as an engineer? Can I see those? Can I touch those? Can I quantify right. those? And given the engineer the tools to have help, that's what every CEO wants. Every CEO wants to have his team in unison with him. Right. Right. Benchmarks, KPIs, Tools that matter, efficiency. But you know what? The Everything we have talked about is the ability for the uh, reservoir engineers to articulate to the CEO so yes. he can do his job better. And a lot of times yes. you nailed it that the reservoir engineers don't know what. You get them spun up and combo curve, all of a sudden they're going to be, the, you know, they're going to be all nerd right. out. Excuse me, but there's a lot of them are nerds. And I'm, I'm That's a nerd, right. by the way. <laughs> so, you know, you sit back and kind of go, wait a minute. The CEO gets better. The CEO, the whole C-suite gets better. I mean, they're more, they get more data. The C-suite gets more accurate, representable data faster. Right. And I go back to metrics and dashboards. All this can be automated to a point where everybody could hop in, even the management team at the management level, at the engineering level could hop in and say, how, how are we doing from an asset perspective, from a company perspective, right. and see those benchmarks. Their, their decisions matter when they look at corporate goals and they can actually see those. Right. Right. You know, Without name dropping, I just had uh, Dr. Patrick Moore on my pod. Oh, nice. He's so cool. Nice. I, I just, I really, I really like him. And he came back for the second one. He says, hey, I'll, I'll come do some more. But you got to go check those out. Those are fantastic podcasts because my guests, I have wonderful guests. But here's the thing with Dr. Moore. And that is with the zealousy that's going on in the renewable space. If we don't educate people about using all forms of energy, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here saying that I can recognize that a CEO from an oil and gas company can articulate to his folks and help educate mm -hmm. folks. Mm -hmm. Nick over at C, I believe it's CNX, uh, the CEO over there, uh, he is cool. And he's out there shouting out how to be humanitarian. I, I mean, I love you, know me? Yes. Isn't he yeah. great? Yeah. Uh, I, I just, I love him. And also uh, you have the uh, others that are out there. Anyway, I got a bunch of them out there. But he is a humanitarian. I mean, and when you take a look at that, I've seen it firsthand, everything that you just said. Yeah. It's amazing to see how the industry really cares. It really does. And yes, and putting the right tools in place, 
allow people to do their job and pay attention to it. If you don't have the tools, then you say, well, shrug my shoulders. Well, well I can't, I can't model the impact I have. I don't know. Do I right. change it? Do I change out pneumatics to electric valves? Do I change my flowback strategy? What's the cost impact if I do change my flowback strategy related to my exposure and right. cost impact? Do I get dinged on my asset costs? At least I can assess those, right? right. What's my price point I need to have to do a different type of flow back or take, uh, you know, the gas to a generator solution and mo- be able to model that in an afternoon and have a conversation around it, right? right? It's not a week study. Right. When we sit back and take a look at the Permian and we take a look at, you know, we have the Powder River, you have the DJ and you have the Marcellus mm-hmm. and, and all of these kind of things. So you've got all of these across uh, the country. We have Exxon and we have a few of the others that are now saying that they're going to be able to continue to grow our production in the U.S. Mm -hmm. by better efficiencies, uh, just like we've talked about. But they're also going to be able to, everybody's saying, oh, all the good area, and now we're going to go to the next not-so-favorite. Tier two, tier tier three. Tier three, and and all of those kind of things. So what is your answer to that? Because I've got my opinion, but I want to hear what your opinion is, tier two, tier three. How is Exxon and all of our great EMP operators going to expand now? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously you drill the better wells first. Right. Economics 101. I'm going to I'm going to do the best job I can in the areas I know with the least amount of risk, with the most well control. Right. Then I'm going to move and try to continue to develop the other acreage positions. Right. But you can model these acreage position issues. You still have the efficiencies of better tools, better data collection, better tools, faster workflows. Right. You'll be able to manage this with less people, but you still can quantify it. Is it economic? What kind of financing do I have to have? What does that program look like? And it's not a team of people and months worth of work that to get the dollars answered. So those what ifs. Every management team says, change this, change this, change this. I need an answer tomorrow. And some people are spending all night doing it. And maybe they get half answers or you're going to make assumptions. And I hate assumptions. Uh, as, a, as an engineer doing deal evaluations, my biggest fear was having data that I didn't touch. I didn't have time to touch or use into my workflow. And that scared right. me because I knew it was there. Right. Now I feel I feel obligated to use it if I can consume it. Well, I'll tell you, um, I've, I've been on that other issue where somebody's got a gigantic presentation for millions of dollars mm-hmm. uh, on the table. Well, let's and, talk about this topic. OK, okay go ahead. No, keep going. You <laughs> have millions on the table. And I'm serious. And when you sit back and say, well, when you price all your stuff out in an ROI, it's gone strip pricing. Yes. But. You get all of these people saying, you know, we're at $90 oil or we're here or we're there. What is it? 85 flat. I hear that a lot. No way. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, I've, and when your well is profitable at 65 and it's a great ROI, yeah. I, and you look at the strip, that strip pricing as it's moving out there. Yes. But I love the what ifs. What ifs on combo curve were so cool. Yeah. Because you could sit back and kind of go, like Putin, you know? Hey, you know, uh, that almost sounded like Fonzie, Fonzie, not Fonzie there, but, (laughs) you know, Fonzie instead of like uh, um, Putin. My my Putin imitation is so bad. Hey, you better like uh, listen to me. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But anyway, you see where I'm going with that? I do. Um, Sensitivities, the ability to run the sensitivities. And a true example is working with a group uh, where they were looking at a Bakken deal. The price deck from a reserves company, when I plotted the price deck, it took off. And and it was probably a true valid price deck at the time. And this was six months later. I was helping them do a reevaluation. Prices just didn't make sense. Right. 
We ended up using the strip. Strip, when you plotted them, ended up going like this versus like this. Well, that delta was huge. At the end of the day, I think it was you know, every point in time, and if you look at those, all those different price decks in the world, um, they overlaid on top of one another, and then reality, right. you're guaranteed to be wrong, right? And the question is how wrong? That's millions of dollars, right? Okay. I'm going to dive into automated workflows, and I'm going to touch on proximity forecasting, the ability to create fit-for-purpose type curves based off of Wells geolocation and completion constraints, surface and subsurface constraints into an automated process. So just go down, down this path. I have 1,000, 1,500 wells in a deal package, okay? I could decline curve analysis, a bunch of those. I can QC those using diagnostics. I can get the best fit. Let's argue. I can pull those. I can collapse those. That's 15 minutes on 800 wells. Right. Okay, 400 wells are out. Not enough production data. Spotty production data. Vera volatility. Start and restarts, refract, recompletes. All of that falls into that bucket. Some volatility. Auto right. forecast works well, but you're not going to do this off of four, five, six months of data. Right. Right. It doesn't work. What do you do? You build type curves. Spend time, build type curves. I talked to one client this morning, 407 type curves. And now they're trying to get those out to do statistics on those type curves. I said, but proximity will do this for you. So each well could have its own type curve based off of constraints, vintaging, prop and loading, fluid loading, thickness, other aspects. I could bring all that together, but I automate. Proximity in combo curve is the only tool that automates that workflow at scale. And now I can take that to any type of compare it to type curves, compare it to other decline analysis. But I have a true fit. I can generate a P10, 50, 90 average assessment with real data, real wells around me. And I can grab 5, 10, 15, 20 wells and do this. Click, let it run. I'm working on economics. I'll come back. Can you see it? Oh, yes. We're talking on 15, on 400 wells. We're talking three to four minutes. Yeah. My QC is going to take a little bit longer, but okay. And in, in an hour, I'm pretty happy. Oh, I, millions of dollars and tens of millions of dollars on an asset. And right. then you could do your own sensitivities. Terminal decline. What's a half a percent up and down assessment on terminal? What is this uh, rate decline type curve proximity variance? So I have right. a bound. Now I have a window of what that asset, my risk tolerance with that window based off of uncertainties. And then I can add my own de-risking factor if I want to. Similarly with price decks. I can run all those in units with a price deck simultaneously. Right. Just build my uh, script and let it run. You know, I can, I can see this also in the huge M&A market uh, right now. And so when you sit back and take a look, you just described about 16 things right there. Fold. And yeah. my, my head's just sitting there spinning because I've used this uh, in talking to folks. And I got to shout out to uh, R.T. Trevino because he's uh, shaking and moving out there. And so when you sit back and take a look at evaluating a potential sell, You've got companies that want to get out of an area. Yes. Is it really a good deal? Yes. Are these worth reworking? Are they not, you know? And and so, uh, you know, I know that RT just had a well come in and it's rock solid and he's already. He's a happy camp. Oh, yeah. His RT's great. Rolling. Oh, yeah. That's so, why you can drill a well now. Oof. Oh, yeah. I'll, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, but you take a look at that aspect of it. It, the M&A, how do you see the M&A side of things coming around the corner? You know, it, everybody, it gets a little weird when you're sitting there going, I used to have a pretty good thumb on oil price. I used to have a pretty good thumb. It went out the window mm -hmm. a while ago. What are you seeing in the market for M&As? Because I see it as a good potential, but I don't know what you're... Yeah, I mean, 
younger engineers getting in there, playing specifically on the banking side, just running their due diligence. I think the ability to define a due diligence process right. and run these things because experience, take, I mean, experience takes a long, straight up, takes a long time to put in place. I, I knew guys that could sit there with a big chief tablet and LOE and right. come up with an asset valuation on a tablet and it was pretty freaking good. Right. But younger engineers have to run these sensitivities to learn the impact. Does it matter if I look at tail percentages back to my asset value, right? Well, plus 15 years, probably not as much, obviously you would think. So, but being able to screen, um, high level screen deals quickly and then figure out where to prioritize your time. If you have an engineering team that's got you know, 15 deals coming in the door and you don't know where to spend your time. Well, how are you going to pick? Um, yep. I, could, I could screen these very quickly and prioritize based off a of fit for purpose, pass some of these off to another group potentially to work that has a better wow. fit for these type of assets. But you can touch every deal today. Oh, yeah. In theory. And then run your sensitivities and script these automated sensitivity components. So you're spending time analyzing and looking at data and not running, pushing data back and forth per yep. se, right? You know, let, let the let the automation work for you. you know, I can tell that you're the, when your name is that way that you're speaking with your hands or you're yeah, pounding on the table. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're sitting there kind of going, "Hey, you know." And I got my lousy imitation of Putin. It sounds more like uh, was it Sopranos? The Sopranos. Yeah, yeah. there is a Gualtieri in the Sopranos, by the way. Oh, oh, nice. <laughs> uh, I I love the Sopranos. I thought that was a wild show. Oh, yes, I mean, um, that brought back memories of home. <laughs> I, I wonder if uh, Putin would ever show up on The Sopranos if they ever did a remake. You know, I, they can't do it. I think he'd sit right in. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, when we sit back and talk about what's next for Combo Curve International, are you guys looking at going wild all over the place? Yeah, focus wise, obviously carbon's a big, right. a big focus. We want teams to be able to model their carbon exposure whether it's top down, bottom up, by top down, meaning taking the data that's already been submitted to the EPA, leveraging right. that over vintage by operator by area and right. using that as knowledge related to, hey, if I'm doing a deal evaluation, I want to know where they fit in that carbon stream, um, exposure stream based off of their peers in that play, because it may make a difference. Right. Or I want to be able to model the facilities from an asset management standpoint and understand if I improve my facilities or I do something special, what's that cost impact and what's going to be my reduction or impact on carbon taxes later. Nice. So carbon adds all of that workflow. That's core for us because you know, we want to support the industry. We want to be there and make sure the industry has the right tools. We are one of the most advanced carbon modeling solutions for operators today. Yeah, great. Hands down. Uh, where else do you go? Well, the life cycle of Combo Curve. It further advance the well planning, the scheduling well planning workflows, taking right. that to that next level. Uh, diagnostics for economics, desperately right. needed on a workflow related to understanding, like we do diagnostics for production forecasting, mm -hmm. diagnostics based off of sensitivities. And then eventually we're, you have to start scripting these and doing your auto sensitivities, automating that sensitivity workflow automatically. Wow. Right. So um, KPIs, executive level, every, every yep. major group has KPI. Production A&D teams um, was working with a trading group that had a distributed team, a couple guys in London, a couple guys in Canada, a couple guys here, uh, being able to grab the, their portfolio of deals evaluated, one lost bid, not bid, and be able to aggregate those into a re automated report for the client right. or for management. What do we do? What do we say we're going to do? All that data is in one spot and not all over different engineers' desktops, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Huge upside. And then the Canadian market, 
Oh, yeah. very, a very big focus from the Canadian side, right? Uh, there's a lot of activity. There's a lot of interest in supporting the, the Canadian market as the next step. I, I love the Canadian market. I mean, they're such good people. I got oh, some good Canadian yes. folks up there. Uh, I'll tell you, I, I just have always enjoyed Calgary. It's a good, good place. So uh, next time you're going up there, I'll go with you. I'll carry your bag. I, I need to make it to the Stampede. So that's my, that's my, one of my, on my bucket list. Okay, cool. Uh, but we're going to avoid the forest fires that are up there right oh, now. Of course. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we'll leave that alone. <laughs> but um, it was flooding said, a couple of years ago, wasn't it? Do what? They, they were flooding a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah. Go figure that yeah. out. Uh, but, you know, we sit here and we laugh about Putin and stuff. Didn't you just come back from Russia? I did. Oh, tell us I about did. that. Oh, that was a trip. Um, no, very good people, honestly, at the end of the day. Isn't that great? It was uh, almost like being here in the U.S. Wow. Street signs were in a different language. People were good, friendly. They like Americans at the end of the day, which is interesting. You know, it's not the leaders of the world. It's the people. Yes. You know, I just, anyway, one of the benefits to my podcast is I get to speak to folks from all over the world. And I just, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And I've got a few uh, Russians that I correspond with yeah. as well, too. And they're great people. Absolutely wonderful. And when you sit back and kind of go, I wish all the leaders could get along. That's, that's my vision as well. I think it's, a, it's just tragedy where we're at today and why we're where we're at. And we'd like for everybody to right. be able to, to fix it. Yeah. Countries go to war over energy. Yeah. And and I, I'm so proud to be in the energy industry, mm -hmm. talking to nuclear folks, talking mm -hmm. to midstream, you know, oil and gas, mm -hmm. even renewable and then uh, storage, mm -hmm. uh, Frere battery out of Norway, uh, cool, mm -hmm. cool people. Yes. They've got the only renewable batteries for storage out there. And I, I mean, when you put a storage facility in there and it's renewable, that cuts down on the child oh, yeah. abuse. So yes. now when, you know, there's no child abuse with the combo curve because everything's software in here in the U.S., mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> that Congo child abuse and everything else just drives me nuts with yes. the critical minerals. But as we go here, you've already, you've got several patents. You, you know, you've got your uh, resume from OSU, great school, love my time at OSU. OSU, undergrad, Rolla, Missouri. I got to give a shout out for Missouri School of Mines, yeah. uh, Missouri, oh, University of Missouri Science and Technology today. Right. So, anyway. um, I got a very low score. I don't want to tell anybody that, but I got a very low GPA at OSU and I had to get mine for my MBA from <laughs> Oklahoma City University. So, you know, shout out to Oklahoma City University as well. So you've had a heck of a career. Love, love it. Yes. Oil and gas has been great. You've, I, I saw your pedigree. I mean, your resume and everything, and you've spoken around the world, all these kind of yeah. different things. And what's next for you? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a tough one. Um, just continuing to, to work in the industry, you yep. know, be, be a champion, uh, work with teams. Uh, you know, I always take, um, I take jobs, work with things, work with good teams. It's all about the people. Right. At the end of the day, um, I can go back several, several steps in the back and, and it's always good people right. trying to do good in the industry, trying to matter. Um, I love ener energized people, people that are highly motivated. Uh, I can I go, I go back to the Boots and Coots days. Uh, I was director of technology for Boots and Coots. That team was just amazing. Jerry, I worked with Jerry Winchester. He was yep. part of special services at Halliburton. 
he came in, became CEO of Boots and Coots, and then we started working together when he was uh, when Boots and Coots was acquired by Halliburton. And just nice. loved working with dynamic people, right? People that care, that are focused with a common vision. At the end of the day, they get together and make right. a decision, and everybody leaves with a common vision. And you but, can get to that vision quickly without as much pain, and people walk away agreeing to support that mission is right. kind of the goal. But you're also doing things with, I believe, the Salvation Army, if I remember correctly. Salvation Army of Greater Houston. I'm on the, with, with the Boys and Girls Club. Nice. Uh, the Salvation Army as well. I like giving back. Um, part of it was, I, I blame Halliburton for some of this. We actually- You want to blame Halliburton? want to blame Halliburton for me being involved in <laughs> I, charity. I thought that's what you said. I did. Um, <laughs> charity, it takes a lot of time and effort to do right. this, right? Back in 2004, I was working with Halliburton and I wanted to make a difference. Uh, and I started interviewing charities. Right. And I spent time and it took me about four to six months. And I talked to a lot of charities in Houston and the Salvation Army was the one that resonated. Nice. The religious component, you can get people off the street. Can you keep them off the street? Sometimes you need that, that religious component, that belief right. in God. Hey, he's here with you to make it work. And it, I've right. seen it work. You know, really, uh, oh, oh, sorry. I, I, I applaud you for that. I just want to give a shout out to Jeff Crilly and all of the uh, Real News media team. We're here in their studio today. And we had a gentleman out in the lobby that had, uh, he was very, very cool. He came up and said, I loved his cross. And he he was absolutely He was cool. preaching. He was, was preaching. I love I'm over, well, you and I are going, preach on, brother, preach on. Absolutely. So anyway, I'll tell you what. Okay. Uh, we've got two more minutes. Two minutes. All right. What are your last thoughts? Yeah, this is exciting. This is exciting to, to be part of what you're doing. I see the passion in what you do. So this is just, it It, it drives me to be uh, passionate as well in, into these workflows. Closing thoughts is there's a whole lot of opportunity in the industry to be up for us to be more efficient. We right. can do our jobs better with more environmental focus, right. making better decisions. Let the tools work for you. Don't be afraid. Right. I think at the end of the day, people are afraid of change. Change, change if it doesn't work right, can be detrimental to certain people. At the end of the day, um, you know, get referrals, talk to people that are in the know. One thing Combo Curve has really done well is customer service. When, when you make a transition into Combo Curve, we're there with you. We step through the whole process with you. You're not buying a tool and we say, here it is. Here's some videos. Go watch them. Have a nice day. Do you want training? I'll charge you extra for training. We're all in with our clients, which is intriguing, right? Oh, and, I lived through it. I, I'm over here going preach on. <laughs> and similarly, you know, with the stuff I do in industry, I want to work with people that have right. a passion and, and have an interest in, in being successful at the end of the day. And that drives me as well. So it's, 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 like, it's been fun. Oh, industry has been a lot of fun. And people can get a hold of you either uh, on LinkedIn or how else? LinkedIn. Okay. So 100% LinkedIn. Um, that's where I spend my time. Um, and then, of course, uh, happy to chat. So reach out to me. Happy to do one-on-ones, introductory calls. If you want to just meet and say hello for 15 minutes, hang me. I'm right. around. Sounds great. Thank you so much. And I want to give a shout out to Armand and the rest of the Combo Curve team. Absolutely phenomenal. Thank you so Absolutely. much. I just appreciate your time. And for all that, thank you to all of our wonderful listeners. I want to give a shout out to all the other podcasters on the uh, Sandstone Media Group. We are knocking it out of the park and uh, approaching a big, big year for 2023. So with that, thank you all.